The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Well, my friends, the Lord loves us unconditionally. As much on our worst day as on our best. What an amazing God. This week we have emphasized spiritual renewal. Really, the essence of revival, that restoration to life again, to spiritual life. That spirit-filled life of Christ's holiness and Christ's service. And so we began on Sunday morning with somewhat of an overview, with that fruitful walk. Looking at Galatians 5, walking in the spirit that accesses the fruit of the spirit. And uh, what a beautiful passage that is. And then we stepped back and began to peel back some layers, uh, starting uh, Sunday night with the fact that God has placed us in this world. Yes, we're in it, but we're not to be of it. And uh, we saw that that's a matter of transcendence. It's a matter of transformation. It's a matter of trusting in God. And uh, so in order for that to be real, you have to be convinced of the object of your faith. And so Monday night, we dealt with the provision of Christ's life in the believer the actual life of Jesus himself actually indwelling us so that our personalities can be animated with his divine life. What an amazing possibility. We have been crucified with him, separated from that old master of indwelling sin, raised with Christ the new man, now joined to the indwelling Christ so that as we yield to him, that principle of counteraction kicks in and the law of the spirit of life in Christ counteracts and overcomes the law of sin and death. And so our response to that, we looked at last night. And that surrender exchange in Romans 12, 1 and 2. As we give our all to Jesus, God, you are in charge. You have permission to do whatever is necessary to make my life uh, that which glorifies you. And then that matter of taking his all to us so that the transformation uh, begins to explode through our personalities. And yes, there's a beginning, there's a presentation, but then there's that ongoing living sacrifice each day as we face new issues of surrender. And most of that would be what we would call inflow truth or accessing Christ's life to us. But there's also Christ's life through us out to others or what we might call outflow truth. And so let's look tonight at Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes under inspiration here in uh, uh, verse 15, So as much as in me is, I am ready, he says. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God, the ability of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, it's not just justification, it's the living out of sanctification. It's that faith to faith, it's that ongoing journey, it's the whole gospel. And that's what this book is, as we noted last night. The gospel to sinners in the first five chapters, the gospel to saints in Romans 6 through 8, the whole system by grace, through faith, all of it, then applying to our lives uh, as this whole book lays out. And so here at the beginning, he says, I am ready to preach the gospel. I am ready to preach the good news that Jesus saves, not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin, this side of heaven. And so it really is a readiness to preach the gospel, not just to sinners who need to be justified, but saints who need to be sanctified. It's evangelizing as well as revival, all coming together. And so I want to speak tonight on ready... And unashamed. Shall we pray? Let's ask the Spirit of God to meet with us. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. I thank you so much, Lord, for these days together. Lord, for your presence. For answering the prayers of your dear people here. For opening eyes. But Lord, we need you once again tonight. For apart from you, we can do nothing. So enable me to speak. Lord, enable hearing tonight. Lord, I pray that we'd hear from heaven. Lord, I pray that you would thrill us with the provision, not just to experience your victorious holy life, but to also experience your effective serving life, both in the matter of revival and evangelizing. So, Lord, 
meet with us tonight. Bring us along that road of faith. May we see Jesus as our life, our holiness, as well as our service. And so I plead the blood of Jesus to protect us once again from the attack of the enemy who so seeks to get in, derail, and get us off focus. And so, Lord Jesus, again, I claim our position in you at the throne far above the enemy. And in your name, through the victory you won at the cross, through your shed blood, I exercise your authority over the powers of darkness that would seek to hinder tonight and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, take the truth deep within us and do a work that goes far beyond these days for your glory. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure over the years I've mentioned a preacher by the name of Charlie Kittrell. He's now with the Lord. He pastored in Indianapolis, Indiana for over 40 years. I remember when I first got to know him back in the 90s, I noticed that when we would go out to eat, uh, we'd go to a restaurant, and, and his pockets were literally bulging with gospel tracts. He had a little tract he used that was, uh, it's about uh, maybe two and a half inches tall, about two inches wide, has one little staple on it because a number of little pages since it's small, and has a big uh, yellow smiley face on it, and it says, God loves you. That's the tract. And uh, so he, his pockets would be bulging. I uh, found out later in the week that he had another box of tracks there in the back seat of his car. And then one time I saw him open his trunk and there were boxes <laughs> there uh, in the trunk. And so we'd go into the restaurant and uh, I would remember he would reach into his uh, pocket and he'd take one of those out and he'd flip it down on a table and say, have a smiley. <laughs> and everybody would smile. <laughs> and uh, uh, we'd go, sometimes he'd hit every table on the way to our table. Sometimes I noticed he'd hit one table on the way to our table. I have been with him when he's hit the entire restaurant. <laughs> that's fun to watch. <laughs> and so one time I asked him, I said, Pastor Kittrell, sometimes you hit, you know, every table on the way to our table, sometimes just one, sometimes, the, you know, a bunch or the whole place. I say, why the difference? He said, well, John, it's not random. He said, I pray about it. And he said, I asked the Lord for wisdom throughout a day, who to speak to, who to witness to, who to even give a tract to. He said, so I go to the restaurant, and he said, my main thing's not getting food. Though I did notice, he did do that. <laughs> uh, but he said, my main thing is who I'm supposed to speak to, who I'm supposed to give a gospel tract to. He said, when I go to the grocery store, same thing. He said, the main thing's not getting the groceries. He said, the main thing is obeying the Spirit in the matter of the gospel. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, that is so simple. You pray, and you obey. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I could, I, could, I could give this a shot. And so I began to pray. Now, a couple of things happened. One is I gave out more tracts than I did before, which is fascinating because, you know, when you go with the duty method, you can give out a lot of tracts. But it's been interesting to see how the Lord actually leads in these things. And then also what's really been significant over these years is the number of people, I wish I had documented how many, have thanked me for giving them a gospel tract. See, God knows where he's working. Here's this hungry heart. And you give them that track. I've had people say, oh, wow, do I need this? <laughs> Thank you. You see, because God's in it. And you're joining God where he is working. And so uh, Pastor Kitcher told me, he says, you know, I pray over my tracks. He said, I believe that one out of every ten that I give out leads to an actual conversion. And he had the stories and the, and the, and the proof to back it up. What an amazing thing. You see, he's an example of a child of God who's just a normal person who learned to trust in God, learned to pray, learned to get the mind of God, learned to obey the Spirit of God so that he was ready and unashamed. Now, friends, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. I am ready and I am not ashamed. You see, when we just kind of go through the motions because we feel like we have to, you know, that law-goaded conscience, then what happens is we're actually giving a demeanor of being ashamed. And you know, when we're ashamed of Jesus, it makes people bold in their sin. But when you're unashamed of Jesus through the power of the divine spirit, it makes people ashamed of their sin. And so there is this dynamic here when we are experiencing the gospel personified Jesus, not just as our Savior from hell, but our Savior from the power of sin right now, there can be a reality to being ready and unashamed to proclaim the good news that Jesus delivers in every way. Now, my friends, what an amazing passage we have before us. Are we ready and unashamed? Well, practically speaking, how then 
can we be in readiness? Tonight, I want us to just focus in on two areas of truth. There's obviously a whole lot that could be given here. But let's start off with prayerful readiness. The heart cry of that fervent witness. Three matters of prayer I want to bring before our attention as we deal with the prayerful readiness. Number one, praying for divine appointments. Divine appointments. By that I mean a God-led conversation where God's hand is obviously manifested and God's truth is vindicated both in the gospel to sinners as well as to the gospel to saints because all of it is a part of the gospel message of full salvation to use the wording of some of the songwriters of the past. Now Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 that the harvest truly is plenteous. Not will be, it is. So it's more than a promise, it's a fact. It's more than a potentiality, it's a reality. The harvest, he said, truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So he says, pray ye therefore, based on this ready harvest, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his... He'll send forth laborers into his... Harvest. Now, he uses the word harvest three times. He said, the harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few, so pray therefore, since there's a ready harvest and we need more laborers, that God will thrust us out into his harvest, not just his fields. It's not just duty in the fields. It's recognizing there is a ready harvest and we can join the Lord of the harvest in his leadership by his power so that we're not just working in the fields, but we're reaping in his harvest. That changes everything. You see, you're praying there for a divine appointment. That's what he said. Pray therefore, since there is a ready harvest, for God to connect you to it. And so he's telling us to pray for divine appointments. He's telling us for God to thrust us out and connect us to where he's working. And so you'd have men like Walter Wilson in the last century, medical doctor called to preach, who grabbed a hold of the spirit for life, and that's a great story. But then he came to, that, uh, he, he came to this understanding of what we're talking about here, and he would pray in the morning, Now, Lord, would you lead me today to that soul whose heart you have prepared? In other words... He's not asking God to prepare hearts. God says he is. He's saying, God, since you are, connect me. And he'd say, Lord, lead me today to that soul whose heart you have prepared to receive the gospel. And then he'd say, now, Lord, I'm pretty dense about it. Don't let me miss. (laughs) He's written books that just tell you stories over and over again of what God did and how God led. You know, it's been neat over the years. We have a course called Netcasters. Uh, it's really the spiritual uh, life applied to uh, witnessing. Uh, but I've got stories from emails from people that are just as good as Walter Wilson's. <laughs> just regular people like you and I that grab a hold of the fact that we can go to God and say, God, you said that the harvest is plenteous. That is a fact. So based on that, I'm asking you to connect me to that ready harvest. And friends, when you actually believe that, it changes everything. When you actually believe that God is working, that the Lord of the harvest is preparing hearts, and now you're trusting him to guide you to those people, it changes everything. Now friends, the Lord of the harvest is preparing hearts. That's why the harvest is plenteous. What's fascinating is God uses us to help harvest them. That's amazing. In God's divine providences, he brings his own into partnership with himself for the actual reaping. In other words, they have to hear the message, which means they need a messenger, a spirit-filled messenger. But the point is, that's what God has chosen to do. But that Lord of the harvest, the Spirit of God, is constantly working to prepare hearts. You see, because of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, there is this God-shaped hole, we might say, in every human's heart. And people are on a quest to fill that. And that's why they get into some of the crazy things they do. They're trying to find something to fulfill it. The problem is they look in the wrong places through the deceptions of the evil one. But we know 
that there is this God-shaped hole, and we know that only God can fill it. So we're at an advantage. We know that God's working to make people aware that they need God. And so we can say, now, God, you're working. You know where you're working. You know where the harvest is ready. And I'm your servant. I'm available. Lead me today. Don't let me miss. Give me eyes to see where you're working. Bring me into divine appointments. Now, friends, if words have meaning and if language has integrity, if the harvest truly is plenteous, then there are people within the sphere of your life and mine that right now, this moment, are prepared and ready to get saved. There may be God's people that are saved in the sense of they're on their way to heaven, but they're backslidden. They need revival, and God's now bringing them to the end of themselves, and now they need the gospel to the saints. And in both cases, we can ask God for these divine appointments. And within the sphere of your life and mine, God's working. He's working on people, and he's preparing hearts. But you may be thinking, well, preacher, I can think to my, you know, all of my relatives and my, my co-workers. My I can't think of anybody that shows any sign of being ripe and ready, for example, to get saved. It's because we walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes it's someone that outwardly it doesn't look at all like they're the one. But God's working on them. We were in a net seminar down in Atlanta, Georgia several years ago. And uh, I was out with my team. We have uh, uh, three-person double-gender teams for the sake of uh, uh, training purposes. At any rate, we had just made a visit at this house. We're coming back across the street. And uh, this teenager's walking on the road. And as he got closer, we noticed that he had makeup on. Uh, that he had fingernail polish on, and so forth and so on. Now, we might be tempted to think, you know, that guy's not interested. How do you know? And do we believe in the providence of God? Here's a kid walking on the street. Here's a netcaster team. And on the job training, walking across the street, and we're about to bump into each other. And I remember the Lord stirred my heart. Talk to that kid. So I engaged him in conversation. The first thing he said to me, he said, oh, oh, he said, hey, uh, hey, the fingernail polish and uh, the, the makeup. He said, that's not me. He said, some girls just did this to me. He didn't have to tell me that, but I didn't mind that he did. <laughs> you know, the kid was wide open. We stood on the side of the road. I had my New Testament open at least 30, 35 minutes. A thorough gospel presentation. Before it was over, the Spirit of God did his convincing work. That kid bowed his head and out loud admitted to God that he was a sinner that deserved hell and called on Jesus to save him from sin and hell. Why? Because the Lord of the harvest knows where he's working and he can guide us to those very people. That's how it works. So pray for divine appointments. What a difference. What a difference. See, God can do this. And uh, he can do it in a variety of ways, in a variety of places. You know, the Spirit of God leads. I've been to, in uh, settings where, you know, there's a number of people around, and the Spirit of God says, that one. Now, I can't explain all of that, but I'm going to tell you it's real. I was just earlier this year doing a mini netcaster seminar in uh, inner city Milwaukee. Uh, and... Uh, the uh, pastor there, when we had the on-the-job training, uh, said, let's go together. And so we prayed. And this is what we prayed. God, we need you to guide us. We need you to guide us to where you're working. Well, you get out in downtown Milwaukee, there's thousands of people. And, you know, they're everywhere. And so you, you can't talk to everyone. You couldn't even give a track to everyone. It's, it's too many. And so we're, we're, we're seeking to just obey the Lord and and uh, here and there, we're giving a track here and there, engaging in conversation. And, and I noticed in the spot that we were, it was kind of a little shopping area. So people seemed to be kind of busy and distracted. And so we didn't get into real conversations. I said, hey, you got a, uh, you got a park around? And he said, yeah, just three blocks away, there's a, there's a park. Well, I love city parks. And uh, there's people there. And so we went. And sure enough, there are people around and walking, you know, their dog and this and that. And had a conversation or two. And we're still working at it. And, and some good interaction, but not what I would call the divine appointment. And then, 
We came around uh, the bend of this walkway. There was a little uh, clubhouse there, and this girl comes out. I'm guessing college age. She had this big dog, and she was obviously getting ready to run exercise with her dog. Now, if we had come a minute sooner, she'd have still been in the building. If we'd have come a minute later, she'd have been off and running. See, this is God. <laughs> we engaged, engaged her in conversation. She was wide open. And God allowed us to peel back the layers of the gospel. And before it was over, the Spirit of God did what only He can do and convinced that girl that she needed Jesus. And she, out loud, admitted that she was a sinner that deserved hell and called on Jesus to save her. You see, God did that. Divine appointments. Looking for where God's working. And when you really believe that He's working, it changes everything. Instead of just going through the motions and going... You know, on a door or just whatever venue or application you're going to do, and then thinking, oh, good, nobody's home. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> now, don't look too pious. You can knock on a door or whatever it is that you're doing in application and have that into anticipation. I wonder if this is the divine appointment. Regardless of your feelings, because faith is not a feeling. Feelings can flip-flop. Down deep in your spirit, there can be that anticipation. I wonder if this is where we're going to see God work. God's hand manifested. God's truth vindicated. Yes, in some cases you'll see somebody get saved. In other cases you'll see them go from here to here. They can't do that without the Holy Spirit. He's the convincer. The natural man doesn't get anything uh, in the Word of God without the Spirit of God. And so we're told that the Spirit convicts lost people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Otherwise they don't get it. And so when they move from here to here and they're understanding God did something. And friends, sometimes it's a believer who's, who's just, uh, just under the load and weight of, of some compromises and this and that in his life. And, and now there's that gospel to the saints divine appointment. And in both cases, God leads us. And truth must be spoken, but energized by the Spirit so that there is that touch of heaven in the whole equation. Much more could be said, but there we have divine Appointments. Let me give you one more story here. I love this. I have a friend named Tom Johnson. He's a missionary in Cambodia. Tom was a medical doctor and uh, called to preach. And a uh, fascinating uh, story because he was one of these guys that was faithful as a clock to go soul winning and incredibly ineffective. <laughs> now, he'll tell you that so I can say this publicly. Uh, oh, my. And I remember when he was on deputation to go to Cambodia, he came to a net seminar. And two truths God ignited in his heart. One was the fact of a prepared harvest. Two was the power of the divine spirit. You know, that's a pretty good combination. And overnight, I don't know that I've ever seen it more dramatically, he became effective. See, the issue wasn't how he said it. The issue was faith in God and what God says. And he said to God, he said, God, you said there's a harvest out here. God, it's what you said. Now, his experience screamed otherwise. But he said, God, this is what you said. So I need your power to connect me to where you're working. And I'm going to tell you, God began to work. And he began to be effective. He led 12 Cambodians to Christ in uh, Milwaukee before he ever got to Cambodia. And on the, on the deputation trail, I would hit churches where he had been, on, been in. And people would come to me, not knowing that I knew him, and say, you ever heard of this guy named Tom Johnson? And then they would tell me some story where God had impacted their life through Tom. Tom tells a story. This is just one story. I love it. It's a classic example of what we're talking about. Where he would pray and say, God, would you direct me and uh, give me that divine appointment and all that we're talking about. And so one day he was out of deputation with his wife and they had a, uh, a luggage rack on the top of their vehicle and something began to flap around. Now, I don't know about you, but I fear that my first thought would be, oh, bummer, I got to stop and fix this. Tom's first thought was, hmm, I wonder who I'm supposed to talk to. Now I'm going to tell you something, that's in tune. <laughs> that's in tune. And so he uh, looks for a place to pull over, sees a parking lot, pulls in, and uh, gets out of his car, doesn't even check to see what's wrong. Grabs his tracks and looks around to see who's he supposed to, who's he, who he's supposed to talk to. He sees one human being. <laughs> it's an elderly lady walking across the parking lot. He says, oh, it's got to be her. So he grabs his tracks and he goes. He engages her in conversation. Long story short, he leads her to Christ. And this is what she said at the end of the conversation. She said, she said, you know, this is so amazing that you talk to me today. She said, I'm up in years. You know, I know I'm not going to live forever. And I've been wanting to know how I could know I was going to heaven when I die. 
I asked my priest, and he couldn't tell me. I asked my relatives. Nobody could tell me. She said, this is so amazing. You came to me today, and you told me. (laughs) Hallelujah. The Lord of the harvest can take that spirit-filled, spirit-reliant, trusting his leadership, his power, child of God, right to the ready harvest. And that's exactly what God delights to do. So pray for divine appointment. Secondly, pray for divine ability. You see, when it comes to Christ's life to us, you don't have to ask for that, as we noted the other night in Galatians 2.20, Christ is already living in you. You need to take that and act on it. If he's already there, you don't have to ask him to be there. He is. But when it comes to impacting others, the provision statements in our our Bible, instead of being stated as facts, they're stated as promises. And so all that means is you add one step to it, you, you start with asking. Because you can't take what's not is. So you ask for it, Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I'm not talking about the indwelling spirit. The grammar is give the quality, the power, the operation of the Spirit to those who ask. And so when it's, not, when it's Christ to us, we take and act on it, as we've been saying for the last three days. But when it's Christ through us out to other, we ask. And then when God gives, then we take, and then we act on it. So it's the same sequence, it's just that you add the step of asking. So Jesus said, look, if you then be an evil, in other words, it's the scenario where a child asks for food, and he says, you know, you're not going to give him a stone or, or a, you know, a scorpion. No, you're going to give him the food. Okay, so if you then be an evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Let the Spirit sink it into you. How much more shall your Father in heaven Give this dynamic, this quality, this operation of the Spirit, regardless of your personality and intellect. How much more shall the Heavenly Father give this power of the Spirit to those who ask? See, that's simple. You know, in my early years in high school, you know, called to preach this, that, and the other, in my uh, college years and even early ministry years, uh, you know, what I did was I acted. I went soul winning. And it was just me. And I'm telling you... (laughs) It was rough sledding, as they say in the north. (laughs) I know you don't know what that is, but nonetheless. You know, it was hard going. I mean, you know, when you try to witness without Jesus, it's pretty rough. Because you don't represent him well, and even though you might say the right words, there's no power. And I remember when God showed me, just ask, start asking, wow. And then what happens is, as you're asking, you know, you're saying, God, today, you know, I'm going to the workplace, I'm burdened about so-and-so. Now, Lord, you know, I, I won't get anywhere if you're not there. But, God, I'm asking for your touch. You know what will happen? The Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit. Okay, you got it. Which means you just went from will be to is. Which means you can go from asking to taking. God, thank you. And now you can go forward in the confidence that he's enabling, regardless of how you feel. Because he says, how much more shall your heavenly Father give Holy Spiritness to those who ask? And so when he gives, take it and go forward and understand that he's working. You see, we can say, God, I need you to enable me to speak. God, free me so that I'm not all awkward and all that stuff. God, free me. It's so neat when you find yourself in a conversation about Jesus and you're amazed that, you, that you're already in it. God does that. See, ask him to enable you to speak. Ask him to enable them to get it. See, the Holy Spirit's the convincer, not us. Our job is to get truth out there. By the way, the more gospel truth you know, the greater your capacity is of who you can reach. If all you know is a little slice of truth in the gospel, well, God can use you to reach people who only need that little slice. But there's a lot of other people. So the more gospel truth you know, the greater your capacity is enlarged of who God can use you to reach. I hope you see that. You see, so it's, it's not, you know, because some people say, well, you know, why take a course in, you know, in, in witnessing if you, if you trust the power of the Spirit? It's because he works through our faculties. And the more truth you know, then the more, uh, the greater the capacity. And so the point is, when you've got that in there, the Spirit of God, though, is the one who convinces. Our job is to get the truth out there. And by the way, you don't have to be fancy and you don't have to be smooth. I've been with trainees that, from my standpoint, blew it big time. In other words, they were stumbling and, this, and God moved. I'm thinking, oh, that's right. This is all about God. And we can ask God, enable me to speak, but enable the hearers to get it. God, convince them. 
Take the stumblings of my mouth, but take that truth deep in their heart. And God can do that. I remember in a net seminar, I had this college girl on my team, and she was petrified. She had never led a soul to Christ. Been in church all her life. Absolutely terrified. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the first day, you know, uh, she just has to watch. The second day, we kind of have them do just a little bit. And then the third day, we push them out of the nest. <laughs> and she was just terrified. <laughs> I said, now look, we've prayed, and we're trusting God. God's going to work. And so we're applying all the truth that we're talking about there. And uh, we have a little view book that we can uh, use uh, uh, in witnessing. So people that are afraid that they're you're not going to remember or maybe they're not good at memorizing, it's a help and a tool to them. And so uh, she was there, and we had prayed for those divine appointments. You know, God can give a double divine appointment. What I mean by that, God gave just the right kind of personalities for this terrified girl. It was a teenage girl and her brother out on the street in a city setting. And so we engaged in conversation. They said they were willing to listen. And so this girl pulls out her view book and basically awkwardly read it. I mean, it, even though she's reading, it still wasn't smooth. <laughs> it was awkward. And that teenage girl and that boy were just as patient as ever. See, it's God on the move. And this dear girl walked them through the gospel, and the Spirit of God worked in their hearts. I mean worked in their hearts. And both of those teenagers uh, called on the name of the Lord, and that girl got lit on fire as she saw that the dynamic here was God. That if she would yield to his leadership and depend on his power, as we saw last night, that God could take her scared, shy personality and animate it, and God could use her. And I'm going to tell you, she caught fire. The next year, she was used of God to lead hundreds of people to Jesus Christ in the country of the Philippines. I'm telling you, hallelujah. Amen. So pray for divine appointments. Pray for divine ability. Thirdly, on the matter of prayerful readiness, there's the matter of divine authority. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, Behold... I give you authority to tread over all the power of the enemy. Friends, at the cross when Jesus said it is finished, he won the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And at that moment, Satan's head was bruised, Genesis 3.15. He was judged, John 16, 11. He was cast out, John 12, 31 and 32. He was rendered ineffective, Hebrews 2, 14. And he was disarmed, Colossians 2, 15. All of that happened at the cross. And God allows that serpent who's been dealt that death blow to writhe around in our age to test the hearts of men. But he was given a defeating blow at the cross. It'll be fully manifest in the book of Revelation. But in the spiritual realm, it's true right now. And friend, if you're a child of God, in the spiritual realm, you're in Christ at the throne, far above the enemy, right this moment. And so you have the privilege of claiming your position in Christ and exercising his authority over a defeated foe. And friends, in that spiritual realm, Satan's at a disadvantage because in that realm, he's totally defeated. And so the Bible tells us that the God of this world seeks to blind people lest they see the glorious light of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4. How does he do that? Jesus said he's a liar. See, the lies that people buy into blind them so they don't see. Even if they hear the gospel, they don't see because of those those, those lies, those blinders that are in the way. Well, what do we do? You've probably got lost loved ones, and you've tried witnessing to them, and they, it just goes right over their head. You maybe have a, a wayward loved one that, that, that really is on their way to heaven, but they're blind to the gospel of the saints. Well, what do we do? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, carnal, but they're mighty. Through God, through the throne, to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, sometimes it's a specific lie that is the stronghold. And if the enemy can be bound, then the people can be loosed. 
And that if the enemy is bound, then the stronghold of the lie comes crumbling down. The blinders come off and they can see. I was in a meeting one time where a dear lady had brought her unsaved cousin, witnessed to her for years, and uh, still not saved after the service, was talking to her and then invited the pastor and I uh, into the conversation. So we're all in this office talking. Now here was the specific lie that God, or excuse me, that Satan had used to keep this lady bound from seeing the glorious light of the gospel because she had this saved cousin that had witnessed to her for years. This was the lie. She told me the story. She said several years ago, I had a son at 18 years of age who committed suicide. And she said, oh, I know it's my fault. It's my fault. And she said, that makes me a murderer. And therefore, I cannot get saved. Now I want to ask you, can a murderer get saved? Absolutely. Do you know the only sin that can keep a person out of heaven is not trusting Jesus? And so we told her that. We told her about Saul of Tarsus, who was a part of the murder of Stephen. Yet he got saved, and God used him greatly. And Bible arguments or truths that should have demolished the lies. But you know what they did? They went right around her, right over. They were all hitting the back wall. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know what? This is an intelligent lady. Everything we've told her should have demolished what's hindering her. But she's not hearing it. She's not seeing. In the spiritual realm, there's... There's hindrance. She, she's got blinders. She's got that, that spiritual earmuffs, you might say. She, she's not getting it. The enemy's in the way. Using that specific lie. And so I said to the others, once I realized what we were dealing with, do you mind if we get on our knees? My friends, I'm going to tell you something. I'm nothing. But Jesus is everything. And he has all authority. And he says, go ye therefore. It's, it's tied to the gospel. And the best I understood, I claimed his authority and exercised his authority against the enemy, deceiving this dear lady. And when we look back up, I reviewed the gospel and said, ma'am, since Jesus is willing to save you from sin and hell, and of course he is, are you willing to trust him as your savior right now? And she said, why, Yes! She could see. She could hear. The enemy was bound and she was loose so the gospel could penetrate. You see, it's the gospel of glory. The problem is people can't see it. Once the enemy was banished, she could see. I'm going to tell you something. That dear lady called on the name of the Lord. It was one of those dramatic ones. Now, it's just as real when they trust Christ and they're totally unemotional. But this is one of those dramatic ones. And I mean, she was weeping. And, oh, she and her cousin, they're just hugging and sobbing and his mushy and uh, uh, goopy and all that. And then she went to hug the pastor. And he was a big old guy. And she, she's trying to hug him. You know? And uh, then uh, she came for me. And I thought, you know, time for me to slip out the door. But she got me. <laughs> Sometimes it's a specific lie. Sometimes it's a specific attack right in the event of witnessing. I remember talking to a 12-year-old girl. She looked like she was 16 or 17. She was fresh into America from the country of Russia. Her family had moved, put her in this Christian school where I was preaching in the uh, church in the evenings, Christian school during the day. And she was uh, 12. She was up there with the junior high in the front. And uh, this was all brand new. She didn't know anything about Jesus, salvation. She didn't know any of it. So I'm preaching away. She'd sit there and look at me, and she'd raise her hand. Well, she didn't know you don't raise your hand and ask a question in, in the chapel service. <laughs> so she didn't know that, so I called on her. All the kids are giggling. Oh, you're not supposed to do that. And, uh, you know, but she couldn't see all that. That was all behind her. So I'd answer a question. We'd go on with the sermon. And two or three times, <laughs> a message, uh, this is how it was happening, about three days in a row, you know, so all the kids are giggling, you know, but she doesn't, she doesn't know it's all behind her, she's asking questions, I'm answering, I'm trying to preach the sermons, and all of this is happening. <laughs> well, the third day, the invitation time, she raised her hand, saying, I want to trust Jesus. I said, if God's speaking to you, stay back afterwards, and I'll talk to you. She did. So close by was her teacher, dear lady, praying for her, as well as the school principal, dear man. And I walked her through as thorough a gospel presentation as I knew how to give because I knew I couldn't assume anything. This was all brand new. She was right with me. You know how it is when they're right with you. 
And then we come to the invitation, and I'm expecting, wow, this thing is, this is right here. She's ready. And then all of a sudden, her face got visibly, physically contorted. Her eyes got distant and weird. And she started panicking. And she started taking her hands like this and doing something like this. I don't understand all this. I do know that in the occult world, they try to switch the headquarters uh, of, of operation from the bottom of your brain, top of the spine, where God intends it, to the bottom of the spine. And I don't know why they do that or what's involved, but it's part of what they do in their occult practices. And when she went like this, I knew, okay, the enemy is going after this girl. And so I remember saying to her, I said, do you mind if I pray? And she just had this glazed, glassed over look, and she just kind of said, okay. My friends, I'm nothing. But Jesus is everything, and he died for that girl, and he won the victory over that stinking liar, the destroyer, the hinderer. And I claim the best I understood my position in Jesus at the throne and exercised his authority over the powers of darkness that were trying to hinder this girl. Specific attack. When I look back up, her face was back to normal. I reviewed, since Jesus is willing to save you, are you willing to trust him? She said, absolutely, and she trusted Jesus. Friends, this is real. So prayer for readiness, and then, secondly, and we'll just touch this briefly, there's a practical readiness. It's just practical. Number one, be ready with acts of love. You know, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 9, the Bible tells us that Jesus healed people, and then he preached the gospel. Catch the principle. There was an act of love that opened the way for the message of love. This is what medical missions is about in our day. And friends, there's a lot of things that could be applied here. Acts of love that opened the heart for the message of love. I know of a church that trains their people to memorize the names of everybody in their neighborhood. And then pray that God would give them uh, opportunities to, to show the love of Jesus. And they look for those opportunities and take them. When they find out somebody's sick, bring them that meal and help in this way and that. And then they're asking God, give us wisdom when to speak. And when God says speak, they speak. And they've led hundreds of people to Christ. Acts of love that open the way for the message of love. We have a man in our church from the country of India. And he's a physician's assistant at the University of Michigan Hospital. And uh, his father was a military man, brought them up that way, an unsaved man and very militaristic upbringing. To the point that now this father was on his deathbed, and still, when the children would come in, now these grown children that are very successful people in life, still he treated them, um, you know, like, you may leave. Just like a king in, <laughs> in, the, in the Middle Ages, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, very hard. Hard to the gospel. Hard to letting anybody talk to him about it. Well, he's on his deathbed. His son and son's family have been praying for years man in our church, former Marine, got burdened to go visit this military man, unsaved father. And uh, this man in our church told me, he said, John, I've never done this before, but he said, I knew God wanted me to do this. He said, I was talking to that man. And uh, as military men and all that, he said, he said, I leaned over. He said, I'd never done this before, but God led me to. And he said, I kissed that man on the forehead. And I looked him in the eye and said, your son loves you. When he comes to talk to you, you need to listen to him. He left. The son came. The father listened and trusted Jesus as his Savior. A simple act of love opened the heart for the message of love. A second avenue of practical readiness, obviously, you need to be ready uh, uh, with the message. So acts of love, but then, of course, the message itself. The message of love. Ready always to give an answer. You know, if you can take a course, take a course. I've taken tons of them. I'm certified in all sorts of courses. Uh, why? Because you can learn bits and pieces and all of that. Uh, you know, some people aren't good at memorizing. Well, then get a, get a flip chart. Get, get the kind of track that, you know, we have gospel tracks. There's other ones you've got to approach your chair that where you can just walk people through it. That means you've got to have it on you. Well, then have it on you. You see, the point is, be ready. 
You know, carrying the New Testament is a wonderful thing. And by the way, it doesn't hurt to carry a Bible out in the open. It's amazing to me the conversations God has given to me because somebody saw my Bible. Now, it's not a big family Bible, you know. Uh, no, it, it's, it, it's, but it looks like a Bible. It's a little Bible. I remember one time I was in an AT&T store, and this guy from the Middle East, is uh, 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 he's seeing that on, on top of my things is this little black a Cambridge, oh, actually it was an Oxford uh, uh, leather Bible, and it said Holy Bible, so he could tell his Bible. But it's funny. I mean, I thought he could tell it. I didn't know his background and stuff. He looked at me and said, is that a little black Bible? I said, well, yes, it is. He said, you know, I, I, just, he said, I just got a Bible downloaded. Doors open. You see, there's just the practical readiness. You know, you can't give the gospel if you don't know it or if you don't have it in a way that you can give it. If you're not good at memorizing, then get some tool that you can have ready to help you. Do you know that you cannot give out a gospel track if you don't have one on you? <laughs> oh, it irritates me when I forget or... I got it in my coat pocket, leave my coat in the car like I did today <laughs> or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm going to tell you, if you got them on you, you can give them out. And you know, when you're asking the Spirit of God to lead you, He will. He really will. And there's just that practical readiness. So ready with acts of love, the message of love, and finally, ready to turn a conversation with the testimony of Jesus. And by testimony, I don't just mean, 43 years ago I got saved. That's fine if you want to say that, but how about what God's doing right now? How about salvation in the present tense? How about, hey, I'm in this meeting, God opened my eyes to this truth, and I've been dealing with this area in my life where I've had some failure, and I took the provision of Jesus, and man, God freed me, and I experienced his victory over this sin. And they're sitting there with eyes wide open. Even the authority over the enemy stuff. I remember preaching an entire message on our position in Christ at the throne. We had a, a lost couple in the audience. And the guy got saved that night. He and his wife got, uh, uh, responded and, and got saved. And he said, man, he said all that stuff that you were talking about. Because he, he was aware of the spirit realm. And he wanted Jesus. And he, and he received him. And so, some testimony of what God's doing can turn a conversation from the politics and the weather and all the stuff we normally talk to Jesus. You see, you can't, usually you don't just jump into the gospel, you, you get there, okay? So that turning the conversation through a testimony of what Jesus is doing in your life is a beautiful way to get there. Say, do, do, do you know Jesus? Is he real in your life? May I take a Bible and show you how God made him real to me? Bam. And you're right there. Or maybe you're talking to a, someone here in the church who's discouraged and they're down and they need life again. Tell them what God did for you. And so forth. So I remember, oh, I guess a year or two ago now, I was in a meeting in the state of Maryland. And on a Sunday night, I preached a message called the Mind of Christ. I think I preached it here last year. Remember the kenosis word? <laughs> and Jesus still possessing the attributes of deity, set aside using them in order to become fully man and at the same time be fully God. Well, in the audience was a man from the country of Iran, a Muslim, an RN who worked in Washington, D.C., a family that lived close to him and befriended him, loved him. Instead of going like this because of his background in the Middle East, embraced him. He's sitting in the service on a Sunday night. I didn't know the story yet. Afterwards, they told me. And so God burdened me immediately to join in the burden that these people had already been calling on God to bring this man to Jesus. And that night, Monday, he wasn't there. Tuesday, he was there. In the invitation, he even raised his hand saying, I'm not saved, I need to get saved. I thought, wow. But he didn't respond in the public invitation. So afterwards, I was at my table, I'm watching for him, and, and he never came by, and I found out, oh, there's another way, and he, he bypassed him. <laughs> so, next day, he's praying about it again. That night, he didn't come. Now it's Thursday. It was a uh, Sunday through Thursday meeting that week. And so that day, the Lord burdened me. The people had already been praying. 
The Lord burdened me. I knew it was the last time I would have an opportunity with that man. And I said, uh, now, Lord doesn't always lead me to pray this way. But I said, Lord, can I trust you to do what's needed in that man's heart tonight? And the Lord gave that sweet, convincing peace. Yes, you can. I came to the service that night. There he was. I preached. He didn't raise his hand. That's okay. God says he's going to work. Afterwards, I positioned myself so that whichever way he chose, I could catch him. <laughs> and sure enough, he was going around me. I stepped out. Hey, haven't had a chance to meet you yet. And began conversation. Ever heard anything like this before? No. Is God speaking to you? Long pause. He said, yes. I said, may I talk with you about it? Would you like to talk? Long pause. He looked at the family that brought him as if to say, you know, don't we need to go? And they said, oh, no, we've got plenty of time. <laughs> he said, okay. We stepped into a side room, and I began to walk him through the gospel. You know, when we got to, to who Jesus is, God robed in a human body, he said, you know, the other night when you explained that, he said, that is the very first time I understood how Jesus could be God and yet man. See, they know about Jesus. They just don't believe he's God. And God did that work on that Sunday night. And then we continued uh, on through the gospel. And uh, he said, yes, I, I want to trust Jesus. And, and there's a lot more to the story. But anyway, when he prayed, I'm listening very carefully to see that he really understand. And he starts out and says, Father. He didn't say Allah. He said, Father. And I don't remember his first sentence. I remember his second sentence. He said, and Father, I've never talked to you like this before, but it seems like it's okay. And I've discovered with those from that background, the first time they actually go from a ritualistic prayer to actually speaking to the living God, it's memorable to them. And then I'm listening very closely to what he's going to say about Jesus because on the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, it says, Allah has no son, which means Allah is not the God of the Bible. And he said, and Father, thank you for sending your son <laughs> to wash away my sins. And I'm going to tell you, I wanted to shout hallelujah. That guy got saved. You know what? I didn't lead him to Christ. That family did. They loved him. They prayed for him. They brought him to Jesus. You see, they were ready and unashamed. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.